Hey everyone, this is Craig Horlbeck from the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. Join me, Danny Heifetz, and Danny Kelly every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to help you win your draft, win your league, and most importantly, avoid that last place punishment. Follow the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Because you are a fighter, and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodello.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Hello and welcome to a special edition of uh, Dual Thread, but actually Triple Thread today. I'm Nora Princiati. I'm here with Stephen Ruiz, as always. And then Lindsay Jones is joining us. Hello, Lindsay. How are you doing? Hi, guys. Thrilled to be here. Well, and you are here because, and we're all here because this is a pretty uh, historic day in the National Football League, something that was anticipated, but we didn't know when it was coming, happened this morning when Patriots owner Robert Kraft and I guess former Patriots coach Bill Belichick announced their mutual separation, parting of ways, whatever you want to call it, uh, a decision that they said was made amicably over the last couple of days and ends a 24-year partnership that uh, coincided with the most dominant stretch of football dynasty making that we've really ever seen. Um, Steven, do you have just like top line thoughts on Bill Belichick being out in New England? Well, I think the first thing that the press conferences made clear is that he's still going to coach or he still wants to coach if another team will give him a job. And I think that was the question I had. And I would react differently to this if I assumed Belichick was going to walk away and this was the last we've seen him seen of him but it, it feels like this has been the conclusion that we've been headed for for three months now so I'm not very shocked that it happened or when it happened or even how it happened and I give them a lot of credit because there are a lot of egos involved in this in making today about the last 24 years as opposed to the last few seasons which were really difficult and, and led to this moment uh the description as a a mutual decision i don't i think is maybe some helpful helpful framing uh because as you said it seems like bill belichick definitely wants to continue coaching and probably would have continued on as the patriots coach if he'd been given the opportunity but he was not again it it makes it a more meaningful and and celebratory day for anyone who's watched New England over the last two decades for it not to be a combative thing. So I, I genuinely do give everyone a lot of credit for being able to rise above that. But as you said, Bill clearly wants to continue coaching. Lindsay, what do you think is next for Bill Belichick? Yeah, this as a, this coaching cycle is just completely unhinged. And it's crazy. It's bananas. Interesting. 
I mean, I was talking to, I think we're on, on our, our like ninth up. hour of podcasting of the week. <laughs> we really are. It's, it's really bizarre. And yeah, I mean, I was thinking this morning, I was like, oh, wait, there are football games in two days. Completely <laughs> forgotten. But there's, you know, we're going to have like the Chiefs and the Dolphins on Saturday night. No, has been completely put onto the back burner by all the coaching news. But, you know, I think, you know, I was talking to somebody on our staff about a week ago or so that it was like, you know, this coaching cycle might not be that interesting. We thought there were going to be all these openings and now there's, you know, maybe not going to be as many as we expected. And it's, you know, it's a lot of these up and coming coordinators and boom, here we are, you know, the middle of the week, you know, the first week of the off season for many of these teams. And we have a coaching market that includes Bill Belichick, Mike Grable, Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh. Like it is a bonkers landscape right now. Unlike uh, we've seen in a really long time. I mean, this time last year, there was the Jim Harbaugh flirtations. Maybe he might come back. And then it was Sean Payton. But now we have a really, really interesting group of coaches that are out there. And there's a lot of teams that are making it known out there, right, that they're interested in Bill Belichick. And, you know, he might have the pick of these jobs if he wants it, which is um, a really interesting place to be in, given the state of the Patriots over the last few years. We're not even done yet. Like, the Cowboys job could come open in a couple right. weeks. Uh, the Eagles right. job could be questioned yeah. at least in a, in a week. It, it's crazy. This could get even more unhinged. Like I'm expecting like coaches that we haven't heard from in 15 years to come out of the woodwork and be like, I'd like an uh, interview too. Like Don Shula should just, he should, he should interview <laughs> for a job just to troll uh, Belichick. So I think the, the Falcons is one potential destination that's been thrown yeah. around. Uh, there's some reported interest there. It's an interesting possibility just because they are one of the teams that has a head coaching vacancy, but not at least right now, a GMing vacancy. And an open question is how that fits into Bill Belichick's plan for himself. Uh, the Chargers, I don't know that I've seen anything indicating like clear reported interest from them, but that's a destination that makes a lot of sense. The one team that has has gotten it out there that they're not interested is the Commanders, who just jumped at the opportunity to say, oh, Bill Belichick, no thanks. We don't want that guy. Um, so I message received. And uh, let's see, am I missing anyone else who could be a potential landing spot for, for Bel- Belichick, uh, depending on whether or not he needs that full roster control in addition to the head coaching job? Yeah, I mean, Carolina has both head coach and right. uh, uh, and general manager jobs open now and a lot of money to spend. That's the biggest football project. I can't imagine that Bill looks at that roster and is like, yeah, that's a place I want to go if I have other options. Or David Tepper is a man he would like to, uh, you know, work alongside if he had his, had, had his options available. But that is the one that really is kind of like open for full control as well. It's an interesting thing to figure out just in terms of what, he wants and the Tepper angle to me right now, just after watching all of the press conferences and and statements from today, I wonder if it looms a little larger than I would have expected just because Belichick really did speak at length and emotionally about the partnership with Robert Kraft and about the, the, not only the resources, but the latitude that he'd gotten from the Kraft family over the years in new England and I, I do wonder if that puts in in sharper um, in a sharper frame how he might feel about 
pitching his wagon to someone like David Tepper. I also think the compelling interest is going to be that he has 15 wins away from Shula. And the fact that he has detached from a Patriots team that needs to rebuild probably means that he he can get there faster if he chooses the right landing spot. I mean, Steven, as a Justin Herbert enthusiast, I feel like I have to ask you about the Chargers. Like, what do you think? It's a real possibility now. Uh, I hope it happens. As a fan of just good football, I want to see Justin Herbert play meaningful games. I want to see Bill Belichick coaching meaningful games again. It's been a while since we've seen that. Maybe it was the, the last Super Bowl they won where we really saw that. But like in terms of the Chargers' needs, one of their biggest needs over the last couple of years has just been tackling, like just been learning how to tackle. And the one <laughs> thing you could say about the Patriots over the past couple of years is they never forgot how to tackle. They've been one of the best tackling teams in the NFL. So in terms of fit, like from either side, like obviously Belichick would want uh, a quarterback like Herbert. And I think the Chargers should want a coach like Belichick. So it makes sense to me. It's going to be fascinating when, like, is he going to be brought in for interviews? <laughs> like he's just any <laughs> other, <laughs> like he's Idro Evero. Like it, it's just such a bizarre <laughs> moment that we're in where all of these like titans of the game are just, just available. And they're just, in some ways, they're like any other coaching candidate, but in other ways, they are not at all. Or yeah, he's say, like hopping on a Zoom with Mark Davis. Right. right. Now. Like, it's so bizarre. He's the golden bachelor. <laughs> what was the guy's name? I didn't watch the show. Uh, Gary. Um, Gary. Uh, it was spelt like Jer- it was G-E-R-R-Y, but it's Gary. Right. I mean, I would watch that in season two. <laughs> not going to lie. I mean, it really would be a great, great, you know, hard knocks variant of Bill Belichick uh, going around the league, talking to teams, pitching himself, pitching his services. Well, as an editor on our site, I should probably, we should probably not put our best ideas out on the pod before we put them on the site, but I'm here (laughs) for it. What if Belichick interviews and doesn't get a job? Like he gets like the enemy or something. Like he doesn't, he he wasn't good enough in the interviews. Or a... Or like whatever happened with Jim Harbaugh in the Vikings two years ago where he got in the building and just realized how weird this guy is. And <laughs> we don't want that. It's, I mean, look, I think there's an open question of whether or not, because we're at this this juncture where we're talking about Belichick and to a certain extent, Pete Carroll. Harbaugh is a little bit in a different bucket in some ways. Um, as is Vrabel, but these these coaches who all have some element of their program builders, they're sort of disciplinarians, they're kind of old school, whatever that that means to you. And it's funny because in in the one sense, they are the most, they seem like they're going to be the most coveted coaches, or at least some of the most coveted candidates. And I don't necessarily think that's wrong. But it's also interesting because that philosophy, that old school philosophy in each case is part of why they got fired. So in the one sense, it feels like, you know, we're about to have the the 25th Super Bowl of the century, right? It's this like changing of the guard where, I mean, other than Joe Flacco, like all of the playoff quarterbacks are Stafford, but like there's this real new guard that has taken over the NFL. And some of these guys who just got fired are kind of the last vestiges of the old guard. So it feels like we're entering this new era. But then actually, maybe we're not at all because they're the coaches that everybody wants to go hire. And 
I, I don't know that I have a question for either of you because we just don't know what it's going to be until we find out how many people get jobs. You know, does does Pete Carroll get another job offer? Does he just stay in this symbolic role, quote unquote, upstairs in Seattle? Whether or not this era of of coaches continues to have a strong imprint on the league as a whole is a very open question right now. And it's going to be one of the most interesting things to follow this coaching cycle, but also, you know, in, into next season, because it's going to define sort of who, who the power players in the league are. And, and part of that has to do with what happens next in new England, where Gerard Mayo is reportedly the front runner. Uh, he's the linebackers coach who was extended last off season in a move that kind of signaled that the Patriots viewed him as as much of the heir apparent, let's say, as there was. Um, Lindsay, what do you think comes next in Patriot land as they attempt to move on from the Belichick era? Yeah, I'm so intrigued by this because this is not the standard situation where you just hire a new coach and he comes in and he might bring his system. He might bring in a new strength and conditioning coach, a couple assistants. This is the opportunity for potentially a coach to come in and completely overhaul an entire football operations from top to bottom. Because when we talk about the Patriot way, right, we, you know, that, that phrase, that was Bill, right? I mean, there's, there's so much of the dynasty that was Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and how you divide up that stuff. But the Patriot way was really, in almost every aspect, was the Belichick way. And he ran that organization on the football side um, kind of unconventionally. I mean, his staff was smaller. His staff was filled with um, guys that he had known and worked with for a long time. His sons were on his staff. Um, and so my big question is, what are the crafts thinking right now about where they want this organization to go? Do they want to kind of continue the Patriot way without Belichick? Is it possible to continue the Patriot way without Belichick? Do you want to continue the Patriot way given the way that the last few years have gone. And I think we're going to learn a lot about what they want based on who they start interviewing here over the next few days if they decide to, you know, really limit their pool to Mayo, Brian Flores, Mike Vrabel, people who are kind of already within that Patriots culture, or if they take this as an opportunity to explore candidates from the Shanahan tree or, um, you know, the Ben Johnson, some, you know, Mike McDonald's, who is, Harbaugh, you know, like, I don't, I could kind of see him right. fitting into like, uh, wide or not. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, I just, I'm very curious to see if they take this as an opportunity to really overhaul this whole thing or see if they can hang on to a little bit of that, you know, Belichick organizational magic for a little longer. I, I, I feel like McDonald is the perfect foil for Belichick because he kind of offers the same, I guess, gifts, uh, just at a younger age. And I wonder if the Patriots do interview him or what other, the other teams that interview him, I know Washington already has, and they've said they're not interested in bill. That kind of tells me that the league is looking at McDonald kind of, I don't know, maybe they value him more than a Belichick at this point, because he does, like I said, he does offer the same strengths and without those weaknesses that led to his fire. I also think in his case, he represents a more long-term potential solution. I think part of the thing in Washington is that they have this, they are completely wiping the slate clean, right? Because they have a high draft pick, they have a lot of cap space, and this is kind of the chance for a new owner to 
put a stamp on the organization for the first time. And the thing about Belichick is he might have quite a few more years in him, but at most that's what five and that's longer than a lot of head coaches last in jobs. But I think if you're Josh Harris, you kind of want it. it, My read on that situation is that they are positioning themselves to hire someone that they can view as their potential Bill Belichick, but they don't want somebody else's. Um, but someone like McDonald, who's younger, fits better into that framework. In terms of New England, one of the most interesting things I thought Robert Kraft said uh, when he took questions today was he was asked if the if he's considering adding a formalized general manager. And he didn't give an answer, but he said that is one of the biggest things that we have to decide. And it would be really interesting if they do kind of stay within the family, go with someone like Mayo. If they didn't add a formalized general manager, just because Bill was so all powerful where he controlled, I mean, every personnel decision, every coaching decision, every hiring decision, but also stuff that had to do with logistics. Where do they stay? Like, how do they operate when they're on the road? He he just had his hands in every single facet of that organization. And if you are going to hire someone like Gerard Mayo, who is a really popular guy, but is, is relatively inexperienced, he's going to have that ultimate power too. And he's going to, to adopt this structure where I don't, I think it might be underappreciated how weird the Patriots organizational structure is. It is not, it is very small and it is actually for a place that has so much palace intrigue and so much Bill versus Tom versus Kraft versus blah, 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 blah. Seth Wickersham story. Meh. Generally speaking, it's not a lot of place. It's not a place where further down the org chart, there's a ton of infighting just because it's very clear what people's roles are. But there's also relatively little empowerment in those roles where if you work there, you know, and this is what people there say they like about working there. You know what your job is. But also... You could be the fourth or fifth most senior person in the personnel department. And like, you might not be in the draft room. You might not know what the board looks like. Because Bill knows what the board looks like and it sort of doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. And the idea that Gerard Mayo, because he was a storied Patriots linebacker, he played for Bill, everybody loves him. He's He's been great as a coach. He was great in business. That he's going to take over that role seems crazy to me. And I'm not saying that that's what they're going to do. But if they are going to try to sort of parachute someone who comes off the Belichick tree, there's going to have to be a lot of thought given to how you sort of just bolster out the organization as a whole because it has been so lean for so long because Bill makes all the important decisions. Well, and one of the reasons that you know, one of the knocks on Bill, although you could also potentially look at it as one of the reasons that he also has, you know, is is really good that he, he doesn't have a coaching tree because these guys that have, you know, been the high, highly sought after coordinators under him have gone other places and tried to, they, they've done what they know. They look around and they say, this is how Bill runs an organization. 
but they weren't in everything. They, you know, there, there are some coaches and general managers who very much empower the people under them to like take over, to know what they're doing other places. And I don't think that was ever the style there. And for as, I guess, like probably humiliating it was for Josh McDaniels to fail twice at this, for Joe Judge, for Matt Patricia, you know, those cases. To have it happen potentially in the future to like Robert Kraft's hand-chosen guy to replace Bill within that same building, if it goes poorly, um, it could be really rough, I think. And I just, I hope that Robert and Stephen Kraft are taking this, uh, Jonathan Kraft, Stephen Jonathan, excuse me. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Um, I hope that the Krafts are looking at this as a chance to really um, set their next head coach up for success and an entire organization up for success and not be tied to the nostalgia of the past 25 years. And I, I think to your point about like the, the other assistants who went on and failed, like not really being privy to, I guess the Belichick way, or at least behind the scenes, uh, there was that story when Josh McDaniels spurned the Colts and came back to new England about Belichick kind of like opening up to him and like giving him this dossier that he had put together as a head coach. And that kind of like speaks to him withholding, I don't know, not information, but sort of like the, the method to his madness over the years. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Because you are a fighter, and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, it's it's not something that that traditionally he's focused on. And and in some ways, that's probably to their credit. Again, uh, I've heard one thing that I've always found interesting that's been articulated to me over the years by people there is there is a there's a real positive side for them to all of the secrecy and all of the hierarchy where it just eliminates a lot of a lot of like catfighting that happens within organizations because two guys have jobs that are kind of competing with each other and one of them can sort of go up the chain and talk to the general manager and backstab that person and get a little bit more power and blah, 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 blah. They, it's, it's not set up in a way that leads to a lot of that. But again, the cost of that is the buck stops where the buck stops and the people underneath 
the key decision makers are given a lot of individual tasks and told, complete this task. They're not told, build a defense, build a younger roster, help like they don't get those types of holistic responsibilities. And it, I, I think it's fair to say that over the years, it has contributed to the lack of a pipeline that has come out of New England and, and now factors into where they go from here because it is an open question, at least to me, of whether in, I keep wanting to say firing Bill Belichick. They didn't fire Bill Belichick. They mutually parted ways, but I think Bill Belichick would still be the, the head coach of the New England Patriots if he'd been given the opportunity. In doing that, are you saying goodbye to the man and someone who maybe had outstayed his welcome with some players who maybe wasn't the best person to be in charge of a, a young and struggling team because he is such a perfectionist and, you know, the other word for that is hard ass. Um, or are you saying goodbye to the philosophy? And if you're not, which the interest in Mayo to me says that they're leaning to not, it's it's going to be interesting to see how it works out just because even Kraft, when talking about what, you know, he was asked what Bill has taught him more than anything else. And his answer was sort of, he's so smart about so many things, but he was talking about what what initially impressed him. And one thing he brought up was that Bill had an understanding of the salary cap when that was very new. And that was something that a lot of coaches just not only didn't have a holistic understanding of, just didn't think about. But then there was a little bit of an offhand comment in Kraft's answer where he said, now, a lot of his younger contemporaries have caught up with that. And I have a question, certainly, about whether the things that made the Belichick era so dominant are still the types of advantages that they were 10, 15, 20 years ago, because every organization has cap guys and they know about the comp pick formula and they're good at identifying these these small edges. And so I wonder if trying to find someone with the same strengths is the right direction to go in. I mean, Stephen, do you, do you have an opinion on that? Do you think they would be better suited one way or the other in finding a young scheme guy versus an old school culture? coach or, or a third category? Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if it matters. And like, it's kind of hard to say what Kraft is going to go for because he's hired two coaches as New England's owner. Right. One was Pete Carroll. And the other one was Bill Belichick. And I, I feel like those two guys are totally different and on other ends of the spectrum. But what's interesting is he had Bill Parcells when he first bought the team. And part of the reason why Parcells left was because Robert Kraft meddled in personnel decisions. And Parcells was like, if you want me to cook the, the meal, you have to let me buy the groceries. That was like his famous saying. And then he hires Pete Carroll, presumably because he wanted to continue to have that pool over the coach. But then when he fires Pete Carroll, he goes back to Belichick and gives him all the power in the organization, which Parcells wanted. So I don't know where he's going to go with this one. It could go either well, way. He did, actually, it's funny. Kraft went out of his way in his press conference to sort of correct the record on that because somebody brought up something something similar. And he said, Actually, I, I just want to clarify, he didn't have all the power until after the third Super Bowl. 
which I'm trying to remember if, if that was ever really uh, made clear. But the broader point certainly stands. Um, Bill was empowered in a way that was a reaction to the issues that um, Parcells had had. But it was it was just a funny thing where he was like, by the way, he didn't <laughs> he didn't get full latitude immediately. Um, but did I interrupt you? Keep going. Sorry. No, that's all I had. I I, uh, I think if I'm if I'm in his shoes, I think I'm going back to what I was thinking before I interviewed Bill Belichick, because he didn't hire Bill Belichick as we know him. When he hired Bill Belichick, his reputation was as a defensive coach, as an X's and O's guy, as a game planner. I wonder if he goes back a, to that. a well. failed Browns coach. I mean, his reputation was bad. Yeah, it was bad. It was it was in the dirt. But his reputation as like a, a strategist was not in the dirt. That was the one thing that wasn't. So it's kind of interesting that the thing that would attract teams to Belichick now wasn't the thing that attracted Kraft to Belichick back then. Because what you want in Belichick, if you hire him now, is the leader, the guy that runs the organization. And that's why he failed in Cleveland, because he couldn't get along with anybody. So right. I, I, want, I don't know. I don't know where, where it goes. Stephen, can I ask you a football question about Bill Belichick that I've been thinking about and talking to people about over the last couple of days is that, you know, is when we've been considering Bill Belichick's legacy and like what he's meant to the NFL and potentially what it's going to mean for him going forward, wherever his new team is. When you think of like Bill Belichick, the defensive mind, what, you know, I guess historically has he done that maybe has like left a mark on the modern NFL? And then maybe what is he still doing when you look at those last two years that, you know, if you're Arthur Blank with the Falcons or the Spanoses in L.A. that you would say, you know, not just because he's Bill Belichick, but like this is the guy that I want, like game planning on a week to week basis for me next year. Yeah, the thing with him is I don't think about like schemes, specific schemes. I think about like specific games and game plans like the yeah. like the Rams Super Bowl, the first Super Bowl win, the second Rams Super Bowl, the when he was DC for the Giants and they upset the Bills, like that's what I think about with Bill. Uh, I think that's the reason why he was so good. It wasn't because he mastered some yeah. scheme. Like Brandon Staley, for instance, was was known for a certain style of defense, and then when other teams adapted that style, like he, he didn't stand out anymore, and it became about talent. That was never the issue with Bill, and he's just a coach's coach. Like I don't know how else to put it. I'm not intrigued by the Patriot way stuff. I think that stuff was way overblown. They continued to win when they didn't follow the Patriot way. So I don't know. It's X's and O's for me. And he still got that. Yeah. Right? I think he still has that. Yeah. Like he, he's shown it at times. It, it doesn't happen as often, but there've been times when he has a game, good game plan, like against the dolphins earlier this year, when other teams were struggling to stop Mike McDaniel, he kind of laid out a bit of a blueprint for the rest of the league. And we saw Buffalo use a similar style. So I think he still has his fastball in, in terms of game planning. I mean, he's obsessed. Like, it, it's been funny to talk to people there over the last couple of days. And the thing that that keeps getting, you know, as people get a little bit nostalgic, too, like the thing that gets brought up is all these stories of, oh, I went into Bill's office for X, Y, Z reason. And he was like grinding tape of whatever. Or we were talking about um, some college game that happened 15 years ago and all of a sudden he's irate because he's thinking about how the linebackers were such sloppy tacklers in that game. And he's just like, he is truly obsessed with the game. Like he is obsessed mm -hmm. with quality football. And that person 
is still very much there and very much willing, not even willing to do the work. I don't think he's capable of not doing it. Like he can't, (laughs) he can't, he can't not grind army Navy tape, even when it's not his job. Like he's, he's just not ready to go out on the boat and hang. And and Uh the thing with him, there's like a bit of like humbleness to his, his knowledge of scheme. Cause I think he, he is the type of coach who would grind army and Navy tape and expect to be able to find something he can use in that tape. And like when he talks about like the special teams evolution in the sixties, like, I think he thinks about that stuff because he's still applying that knowledge to the game yeah. today. And because he doesn't have, and, and Bill Belichick has a healthy, healthy ego as a man, but he doesn't have that, he doesn't have scheme arrogance. He doesn't have, no. I run my scheme and I want to win with my scheme to show you how good my scheme is. He doesn't care. He's just going to do what he thinks is is the best way to win now I think, and it, it's shown itself more on the offensive side of the ball. I think the real, the his commitment to fundamentally sound and good football has come into an interesting conflict with having a young and struggling and inexperienced team, um, and it's shown up more on the offensive side, certainly. And maybe part of that is because that's just not fundamentally where he's made his bones as a coach. I think there's an open question of if he's the best guy suited to like coach someone up and build up their confidence because I, you know, there's this sort of conversation about whether he can connect with young players anymore. And sometimes I get confused by the tone of that conversation because it seems like there's this idea that, uh, if a player's under 25, they like can't run laps or something, or, you know, they didn't walk uphill both ways to school. But I do think that there is something about, there's a younger generation of players who don't have as much automatic trust in the people they work for, which is just, I mean, that's not football players. That's just, that is a generational trend where like, the Gen Z players that he, he that are coming into the league are part of a group of kids who don't necessarily believe that that the world has their best interests at heart and their employers have their best interests at heart. And I don't know that when you don't have the results to say, no, this is what I'm doing for you. Like, this is how I'm, I'm going to help you get a second contract or win a Super Bowl or accomplish the things that you want to do. I do think that Bill's bedside manner is like really tough if you're going to try to convince a group of those players that, no, if you work for this guy and you give him everything you can, he's going to do the same thing in return. So I'm a little split on like whether or not, you know, I don't think the game has passed him by, but I do think that there is something in the idea that if you're young and sloppy and have a lot of learning to do, he's just going to kind of say like, we can't have this. This is unacceptable. You're not playing next week. And I I think it erodes trust really, really, really fast. And they've struggled with that a lot. So that's a question that I would have if I were an owner considering bringing him into a different building. But it's another reason why I like the Chargers idea, (laughs) because it's just like they have Justin Herbert. They're going to be good enough where you can can sell the proof of concept of 
you should work hard and you should give everything you have because we are competing for a Super Bowl and we have the pieces. I think it's a little bit more complicated if we talk about like a Carolina where there's more rebuilding to do. But how fair do you think that is? Like the perception that Bill can't connect with these players because like the team this year, which was very young, got better as the season went along, which suggests that they were buying into what he was saying, even despite the failure at the beginning of the year where all of us were like, this team is stinks. This team stinks of the worst team in the league. Pelichek is, we left them for I think, dead basically I do think, and they became competitive. I, I think some of it is fair. I don't think all of it is fair, but I think some of it where, I mean, when they struggled this year and yes, this was more prominent earlier in the season, but when they struggled, you know, he becomes, he becomes much more conservative in, um, fourth down decision-making, uh, and explains it away as they're not capable of this. They're not good enough to do this in a broader sense. There are some recent examples in personnel of like, okay, Jacoby Myers was one of the best receivers Bar's not high, but one of the best receivers that they have taken themselves and brought in there themselves and and coached up and got something out of. And then they just let him go to Las Vegas, didn't want to pay him, then paid Juju basically as much as they as as Jacoby was going to make in with the Raiders. And it sends a signal that if you work hard and you accomplish things and you do it in New England, there's not necessarily reward there. I do. I don't know that I can explain this other than he is a defensive head coach and maybe just like gets it a little bit more on that side of the ball. This seems to be more concentrated with offensive players. And that's where they've had issues with Trent Brown, you know, issues with some of the younger receivers, um, even like Kendrick Bourne. And now some of that gets mixed up with the Matt Patricia and the Joe Judge of it all. Uh, and that's going back to last year too. But there, there have just been a lot of, lot of headbutting with players on the offensive side of the ball. Where I do think that there's some, something to be said for that theory. Yeah, it's so hard because that tends to happen with losing teams, and when it does happen with winning teams, we, it just doesn't get out, and we don't hear it as often. The other thing, like the idea that the game is passed Bill by on the offensive side, I think. It made sense because of the type of offense they were running. Like they had a fullback on the field. They had tight ends on the field. They were running the ball a bunch. But you look around the league in 2023, and a lot of the offenses that we're celebrating this year are running an offense like that. Like the 49ers have a fullback on the field. They have tight ends on the field. Miami has a fullback on the field. Baltimore has a fullback on the field. I, I think he kind of was ahead of the curve in that way. He saw defenses going to the like lighter personnel too high. He built a team that could beat that. Now, got I don't think there's wrong. anything schematic where yeah. anything has passed him by. It's all, all personnel to me. Like yeah. you drafted, like that's the clearest sign that he was the game had passed him by was drafting Matt Jones, right? Because that 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 type has not worked in a decade. And now, look, I mean, I I think was Bill jumping for joy about drafting Mac Jones. I think he was totally fine with it. That was not an ownership decision. They wouldn't have traded up for Mac Jones. They were very happy Mac Jones was there at 15. They felt like, okay, we got to take a quarterback here. I, I, it's both fair to assign Mac to Bill because I think they felt like they had to take a chance. They they had to go quarterback when he was there and they hadn't made a trade. But they would not have 
they would not have traded up for Mac Jones, which I do think is sort of instructive. But I mean, they took him and the rest is history. Uh, but I, I I agree with you that it's the the personnel conversation is the instructive one. And it's going to be one of the biggest questions to answer for any team that's going to hire him. And then also on the Patriots side, just in terms of how they how they reorganize there. Uh, we've talked through a lot of the the possible scenarios here and a lot of the angles. And so maybe we call it a day in a minute. But uh, Lindsay, I mean, this is this is sort of football history that we're going through here. Do you have any yeah. any just like final thoughts or how you're how you're feeling in this moment? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have a feeling that I was invited on the podcast today because I'm old. And it was like looking around and like, wait, I don't been around a while. (laughs) So I think that might be, but like, yeah, I mean, it is And this week. And this is what I've been, I've been working through writing this. Hopefully we'll have this on the site at some point is that, you know, Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, Nick Saban, they're all very different individuals, very different coaches. There are some very, you know, certainly some similarities amongst them. But the fact that I don't want to say we're losing them, even though apparently that's how people in Alabama are reacting, the way they're like leaving flowers at the base of a statue for Nick Saban. Like, and look, Belichick is going to be on a sideline next year, but it's going to feel different. Um, Football as we know it is going to feel different in 2024 and beyond because three head coaches who were at the center of so many defining moments of this century won't be in those places anymore. And it just, it, it's a lot that is all happening at once. And, you know, one of the things we've been thinking about and talking about was, you know, five-ish years ago or so, we kind of really started this changing of the guard of quarterbacks. And now it's really happening for that, the defining coaches of the first part of this century. And Mike, as long as Mike Tomlin is still here, as long as Andy Reid is still coaching, um, John Harbaugh, you know, there are some of those guys still. But it does feel like kind of the, there very much is this change in process. And, you know, I guess with Belichick, like we've known this was coming, right? Even though there wasn't, you know, definitive, solid reporting, you could feel it, right? You've written the pieces, Nora. You guys have talked about it on so many shows all season that it felt like this was the end. But even when you can feel it coming to see it actually cross your Twitter timeline and you see the press conferences, it's like, it's a lot. And then on the heels of Nick Saban and Pete Carroll also coming within the same span of 24 hours, it's just, it feels like a really historic and, you know, just landscape shifting day for the league as we know it. Steven? Yeah, I think the fact that it happened right on the heels of Saban and Carroll kind of walking away from their jobs makes it feel like more of a retirement. If it's not the end, it's the beginning of the end for Belichick. But at the same time, I almost feel like if he lands with a good team, like say the Chargers and he's with Justin Herbert, it's almost like we're getting Belichick back. Because the last couple of years, he didn't coach in any like huge games. That's and I feel really like point. seeing him in the AFC title game or the, a playoff game against Mahomes and he gets a chance to like game plan against him and see if he still has it. I think that's cool. And I, I think we would not have seen that if he stayed in New England because that team was. Yeah, I don't want. I don't want the like the last memory that we have of him as a coach being him all bundled up and in the snow and losing 17 to three to the jets. Like I want to <laughs> see another like classic bill Belichick screaming and yelling, throwing a tablet, um, 
you know, finding some obscure part of the rule book that he can, uh, you know, use to his advantage. I want to see that again, because that era of football was really freaking fun. And uh, as somebody who lives in AFC West Country, if he wants to come out here, it'd be great. Uh, I'm all for the content. He can't go out with Bailey Zappi as his last quarterback. No, absolutely not. Well, for something that uh, had been kind of a, I don't want to say a, a downer story all season because there is some element that's incredibly interesting about just sort of watching the end of this historic run in New England. Uh, but for something that I had really felt like was going to become a knockdown drag out fight and, and be messy yeah. and finger pointing, I'm really impressed that this has ended on a note that not only feels sort of respectful and celebratory, but also that does kind of highlight that, yeah, Belichick might have something to offer another team and be in those those excellent games next season or going forward. And also that the Patriots probably are ripe for some kind of reset and they have a lot of questions to answer, but there's a possibility that a, a clean slate, you know, they've got a high draft pick, they've got some cap room they get the right person in there and maybe Patriots football becomes more interesting than it's been the last year as well. Uh, but I'll, I'll just say that like, look, I worked there for five years. I definitely, I've had more and better career opportunities because I got to cover all of those Super Bowls and, and cover a team that was really, really relevant. And I am, you know, I have like a, a cold frozen heart and I just think that everyone is like, trying to I just think that coaches are trying to promote themselves and and get as far as they can I was like kind of moved by how they handled it and the fact that they they managed to kind of rise above all of that so it's cool to just go through a historic day in the NFL and uh, it'll be really interesting to see what comes next this has been I'm going to say triple threat on the ringer NFL show feed Uh, thank you so much Lindsay for hopping on the pod Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for letting me crash. I appreciate it. Always. Uh, Thank you, Stephen, for going into definitely hour two, if not hour three or four or whatever of of us podcasting together. Um, No offense, but uh, hopefully see you Saturday and not before because it means that there won't have been any other crazy breaking stories. And thank you to Stefan Anderson for producing this episode and so many others uh, to Connor Nevins and Arjuna Rambopal for their additional production supervision. Ben and Sheil will be up next. They'll have a extra point taken before Steven and I are back on Saturday to recap the wildcard games. And then we'll be back again on Sunday. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you then. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 
1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.